Welcome back to the Beyond Rockets podcast. I'm your host, Clark Dunn. The Beyond Rockets podcast is a way for me to showcase and highlight some of the small business owners, entrepreneurs, and talented creatives here in the Rocket City that make Huntsville way more than just a Rocket City. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen. You can follow me on YouTube at Beyond Rockets, as well as Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new and exciting things happening in Huntsville, as well as new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by the Watts Hampton Cove, a brand new luxury apartment community located in beautiful Hampton Cove. The Watts offers one, two, and three bedroom apartment homes with stylish finishes and thoughtfully designed amenities. A short 15 minute drive from downtown Huntsville, the Watts offers unique features such as direct connectivity to Hayes Nature Preserve, over 10 miles of walking trails, Flint River access, mountain views, a large saltwater pool, dog park, dog spa, a 24 hour fitness studio, and more. Dwell in delight this new year and make the Watts your home. For the month of January, they're going to be offering a $25 Amazon gift card for anyone that tours and mentions the Beyond Rockets podcast. Learn more and schedule your tour today at livethewatts.com. And this information will be in the episode notes. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Rockets. Today, I sit down and talk with Dennis Madsen, manager of long range and urban planning for the city of Huntsville. First off, thank you for joining me today. Uh, I'm excited to talk a little bit about Huntsville, the future, the present, and everything in between. (laughs) Before we get started talking about Huntsville and what it is that you do, I want to talk a little bit and address a little bit of your background prior to coming here in 2013. So where are you originally from and what brought you here in 2013? Sure. No, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I could talk about Huntsville stuff all day (laughs) long, but originally my family's all from the Northeast and we moved around a lot when I was a kid. I ended up in Atlanta for graduate school at Georgia Tech studying architecture, but there was a lot of overlap in that program with urban planning and met my wife in Atlanta and had a really nice career working first for architecture firms and then for planning firms. At a certain point, my wife being from Huntsville said, I want to move back to Huntsville. (laughs) I need you to figure out what you can do when we move to Huntsville. And I was just lucky, really, that uh, Mayor Battle, who had been elected, I think, back in 2007, was really looking to kind of change the approach for how Huntsville was growing, recognizing that it was going to continue to grow, recognizing that it was going to really be a destination. He wanted to grow a little bit more intelligently, a little bit more thoughtfully. And a lot of my background in Atlanta working in planning was for communities that were trying to take a longer look at how they grew, trying to make it a little bit more community oriented so that folks had an input in terms of how their community grew. That's an important part of it. And that was something I think the mayor was really keen on as well, was having a little bit more public engagement around Mm -hmm. how the city was going to grow. Yeah. I mean, I guess in 2013, Huntsville looked a lot different than what it looks like today. Were you excited to come back to Huntsville? I mean, it seemed like Atlanta's a much bigger city and growing up probably in different bigger cities. You have like an English degree, I think, from Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. I think, and then your architecture degree from Georgia Tech. I mean, were you excited to move back to Huntsville? Excited for the potential of like, oh, it's a smaller town or you like, "Uh, maybe, maybe we can find somewhere else. That's a really good question because I think there are things I miss about Atlanta. Atlanta had fantastic culture, great restaurant scene. The Beltline was just starting to come on the line. One of the most really fascinating public projects really ever done in the Southeast. Incredibly impactful. A lot going on. But my wife and I had a young son. It was getting increasingly difficult to navigate the the, yeah. the city. You know, if you wanted to go on a hike or if you wanted to 
go to a park, it can be 45 minutes in the car just to get where you were going. And if you're someone's have a fr- play date with a friend, that's a half an hour drive. <laughs> I mean, everything was just, you were in the car all the yeah. time. And one of the things that we struggle with is it didn't look like it was getting any better. In, in 2012, Atlanta had this T-SPLOST vote. They had identified all these projects that were going to help sustainable transportation around the metro. And the communities all passed it on a kind of executive level. And then it went out to the voters and it lost at the ballot box. Wow. And we just sort of looked at each other and went, it's never going to get better yeah. here. And, and it's had, just gotten bigger and bigger. It has. <laughs> I, mean, just, I don't think, really I think your 30 minute drives are probably more like an hour and a half probably now. Yeah. The joke, the meme out there is that Atlanta is an hour from Atlanta. <laughs> um, and that you used to say Friday morning rush hour starts Thursday afternoon. Sure. I mean, it's just, it was a constant crush. And I had been familiar enough with Huntsville because my wife was from here. We would come back, her, her parents and, and one of her siblings was still here. And so we'd come back and see them. And I really got to like it. And so I joke about her saying, I'm forcing us to move to Huntsville. <laughs> I really didn't fight it that hard. Yeah, you're um, like, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I fought it at all, actually. Um, very, very navigable city. There's a lot to like about it. Having a, a mayor who was interested in doing uh, forward-thinking planning was another compelling piece. When the when the job description came out, I said, that's literally exactly what I do, yeah. and it's what I love. And from what I knew of the people, I knew they were very pragmatic. Like, if you show folks, these are the policies that work, and this is where they work before, and this is how we can grow constructively, folks go, yeah, okay, yeah, well, let's <laughs> do that then, right? That's a great attitude. Yeah. Um, and there's also a sort of an optimism, because I worked in cities really all across the Southeast when wow. I was in the private sector, And there would some, you would go in and there was just kind of existing apathy or cynicism. They would say, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter what we do here. It's just going to be the same old, same old. And if that's the attitude, then you're right. Your plan's going to collect dust. Nothing's going to happen. And you're going to be left with development happening to you instead of in concert with what you want to see happen. And so there was a, a great mindset here, really good administration. I think the community sentiment in general has always been very constructive and so I was really excited. I will say for the first year I was here, I was like half an hour early to everything <laughs> because I just assumed, yeah, you know, just, it, yeah, yeah, I was like, I get in the car and it's five yeah. minutes there. I was like, oh, well, wow. all right, now what do I yeah, do? Like, yeah. do I go to somewhere else? Like, and like the local scene too at the time, I mean, now it's easy to say, oh, well, I'll, I'll just go to a coffee shop and right. like, I'll be there for 10 or 15 minutes. It's not right. a big deal if I'm a little early. And now it's like, at that time, it was probably like, you know, there's really not really too much I could just waste time at like yes. i can't just go to this coffee shop that's like at piper leaf on gates now like yes. you can't you couldn't just go there nope. and so it's interesting just to see and i'm excited to talk a little bit about just that growth over the years yeah. what really interested you the most in like getting your degrees that you did because i mean from an english degree to an architecture degree to now doing what you do mm-hmm. what was kind of like your first exposure to saying hey this is i think i could do something like this or were you just interested in each step along the way like i like this at that moment right I, yeah when i was younger i was always fascinated with architecture i loved the study of it i think when i was an undergrad i wasn't really sure if that was what i wanted to mm-hmm. settle on so i just sort of thrashed around i liked reading so i ended up I, I got close to the end of my four years at umass and i was like well what do i have enough credits for so <laughs> I, apparently i have an english degree but i knew coming out i, I was really interested in architecture and, and georgia tech had this program where you could go in and and get your master's without an undergrad. You would just Hmm. have to spend a longer time doing it. And Georgia Tech had a a really great, very sort of theoretically based program that had a lot of focus on urbanism and a lot of focus on city design Hmm. and a lot of focus on context and a lot of focus on planning. 
And I had always kind of found that part compelling yeah. when I would go to other cities and I would love to see the public spaces. I would love to see the way streets were put together, the way neighborhoods kind of coalesced, what defined a character between one neighborhood and another. That always really kind of fascinated me. I love to travel to other cities just to be in those other cities and experience those other cities. And the more I got into that, the more I really started gravitating towards city planning. And I was just, I got really, really lucky that there was a couple of guys who had worked for the Olympics, kind of a, a parallel effort um, around the Olympics in Atlanta, and they started their own urban planning firm. Hmm. And it's a small little group, and they just happened to be fishing around for an architect that they wanted <laughs> to bring on board. And, and I ended up signing up with them, and it was great. I mean, I think I... 99% of what I know about planning and urban design, I learned from those two guys wow. at that firm. And so they were you were fantastic. based out of Atlanta at that yeah, time. And so was it just, Atlanta. was it just Atlanta stuff you were doing or were you doing oh, stuff no, no. all over the Southeast? Yeah, we worked said? across the Southeast. I, okay. I worked from Virginia to Arkansas. Wow. Uh, we did work for say downtowns where you're helping to do downtown master plans mm -hmm. or planning developments like say Village of Providence, you know, doing those kinds yeah. of plan developments. We would do master plans for smaller communities. We worked for housing authorities. We worked for school boards, all kinds of things. And it was a great experience because you could see the diversity in communities mm -hmm. around the country. The thing that I ended up not liking about it is there was a tendency to work for a community and you'd get so involved in it that you'd start to feel kind of emotionally invested, yeah. right? A, a great example was actually an Alabama project I did. I worked on the comp plan in Prattville okay. outside of Montgomery. And I remember the contract ran out and we had given our final deliverable and it was, you know, job <laughs> was done. And I'm handing this thing over and I'm like, but I want to stay involved. I'm so excited. <laughs> I like the people here. I like the community. I like the leadership. I like the plan. I want to keep going. Yeah, and then um, you're just on to the next yeah, project. Yeah, now it's on to the next project. So the other nice thing about coming to Huntsville was my job is basically to keep making my own community better, right? I mean, that's a dream yeah. job. As and far and as you're I'm able to see the community right. grow and you've been here for, I mean, I guess you're celebrating 10 years this year right. at yep. that position. Was there a lot of travel involved with the other job out of Atlanta? Oh, or yes. Do you miss the travel or do you, no, are, are you excited no, to kind of yeah. be stationed? I mean, it was nice when you got to go, if you got to go to some interesting communities, that was kind of fun. Yeah. I had never been to Arkansas before yeah. going to see, I spent some time in Fayetteville and Little Rock, really cool cities, but Especially after we had our son, the travel started to wear on you a little bit. <laughs> the communities were nice, but it's, it is a yeah. lot of work living out of the suitcase. So it was kind of nice to come someplace where travel for me now is driving down to Ditto Landing <laughs> or going out to Decatur. You know, yeah. that's, the, that's the extent of it. So in 2013, when you came here in Huntsville, I mean, obviously it looked a lot different in planning mm -hmm. processes. I mean, projects that you were working on in 2013 that have probably just finished or have just finished in the last few yep. years. What did the job look like at that time? And what were some of the big planning targets or projects that you were working on at that time? Yeah, I think the first part of the job, really for the first six months, was I was in a listening phase. And that's not atypical mm -hmm. in the planning process, especially for a city, is regardless of my expertise, I'm never going to know as much about someone's city or their neighborhood or their local community as they are. The folks yeah. who live there, who work there, who have grown up there. So I spent a lot of time really just meeting as many folks as I could, going to as many community meetings as I could, gathering as much data as I could to kind of form a picture in mm -hmm. my mind. And then what really came out of that is we said, okay, what we probably need to do is what's called a comprehensive plan. In some states, those are mandatory. Cities have to maintain comprehensive mm -hmm. plans. In Alabama, it's not. Hmm. It's very sort of however a city. Was that shocking to you prior to coming here or did you already know that? I already knew it actually from working in, okay. in Prattville. 
but it was interesting to see the city Huntsville size didn't have kind of a concrete plan written yeah. down where you could access it. Said, here are all our policies and here are our goals kind of written out, especially one that was growing. That mm-hmm. fast. So I said, all right, here's an opportunity for us to really kind of articulate how we want to grow and really engage in the community. So one of our first big things was developing the comp plan and that's still online. Instead of going to one of those three ring binders, mm-hmm. you know, with a comp plan that no one <laughs> reads, we really wanted to do an online document. Okay. So it's actually at uh, bigpicturehuntsville.com hmm. and we maintain that. We update it as the new policies come along and as new planning efforts are completed. And the idea was to engage the community. And we did over more than 24 months, you know, a range of public meetings, some large scale, some small scale, some neighborhood based saying, what is it that you want to see mm-hmm. as we grow? What are the important things that are out there? And you hear a lot about transportation. You want to make sure it's still an easy city to yeah. navigate. A lot of around amenities. We like where we live. We like where we work. But we want other stuff to do. Yeah. Some sort of entertainment scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, the recreation scene in particular. A lot of pride around schools. Probably more than most communities I've ever worked in. Wow. Um, a real sort of identity around the schools. And I'm not talking Madison City. I'm talking about Huntsville City as well. There's a real identity in people valuing the public schooling here, which caught me a little bit by surprise, Hmm. um, how sort of vocal folks were around it. And, you know, what are things that the city can do and what can planning do to help support the school system's mission? We heard a lot about diversifying the economy, right? Mm -hmm. The arsenal is going to be the big employer for a long, long time, for the foreseeable future. I mean, and you're seeing diversification happening on the arsenal, Mm -hmm. right? It's no longer just stuff that gets shot up into the air. It's also about, you know, FBI, DOJ, DEA, I forget the number, but it's something like over 70 discrete federal agencies are wow. on post. It's a, you know, it's almost like a mini DC there. <laughs> um, and that's intentional, yeah. right? If there's ever, you know, an agency that ever gets, you know, a reduction in funding or one that, that is phased out, well, you've got so much other stuff going on there that you don't run the risk of being bracked out yeah. of existence. But we're also looking at sort of off the arsenal, how can we diversify our employment and our economy mm-hmm. off post as well? And the mayor was always very keen to kind of grow that middle third of the wage spectrum. Um, we had seen, as we were doing our study, a lot of growth at the top end, and actually a lot of growth and activity at the, at the bottom third of the wage scale, but not a lot in the middle. So he started chasing industries like Facebook, like Masato, mm-hmm. like Polaris, like Amazon, where you don't necessarily need an advanced degree or in many cases, not even a four-year degree to go out and get a really good, well-paying job that provides you enough income to buy a home, to buy a car, to raise a family, Mm -hmm. and to really kind of participate in the local economy. And that was very important to really kind of build out a broad and sustainable local economy. So really diversifying not just the employment, but the workforce. Another thing was changing the land use policy. Mm -hmm. And Huntsville's not alone in this. We were very much a sprawl-oriented city, right? You know, people are getting out of downtown the developments were always big shopping centers and big subdivisions yeah. and big office parks, yeah. right? Which basically mandate that you have to drive from one place yeah, to the other. Everywhere. It's not a walking city. Exactly, exactly. And so we, not only from a professional perspective, knowing that that's a difficult model to sustain, but we also heard it from the community. They wanted more walkable communities. They wanted bikeable communities. They wanted more greenways. They wanted more options in terms of how they navigated their community. Yeah. Um, and so we really sort of put into the policies, that's the direction we want mm-hmm. to head. And then we adopted it almost five years ago, um, the comp plan. 
and have been kind of implementing those policies wow. ever since. So, I mean, it sounds like the first almost probably three years at your position were just creating the plan, hearing from the community, and then the last five years has been executing the plan. Yeah, exactly. And what we see, and that's a really good way to put it, because the value of an online plan is we can constantly update. You know, we can constantly course correct. We see it as not just a plan, but a tool mm-hmm. that we can use for decision making. You know, if, if there's an annexation coming in, if there's a transportation project we're considering, we can say, all right, how does this fit within our goals? How does this help us achieve the principles for quality growth that we want to see achieved in Huntsville? So, yeah, we've been pushing forward that. We're doing kind of working through a five-year assessment right now, maybe see if there are any kind of course corrections mm-hmm. or updates we need to do. But we want to kind of continue pushing forward with that. So I guess 2018 is when that comp plan really kind of started mm-hmm. being executed. It's a little hard for me to think back because, mm-hmm. like, I've lived here my entire life. I've seen Huntsville grow, graduated high school in 2017. And I really, I mean, 2017, downtown really was not a place. Yeah. Even it's not that far away. It just wasn't a place people really sought after to go. There was entertainment, but there really wasn't. What were some of the first sort of areas? Because, I mean, there's topics that I definitely want to address as far as mm-hmm. some big developments that have happened. But downtown Huntsville, I think, is really a huge spike that I think has been a trickle effect to everything else around it. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think what we want to do is take a lot of lessons from things that work downtown can also work other places. Mm-hmm. One of the key pieces was the development of downtown Huntsville, Inc. and the hiring of Chad Emerson, who actually came on board I want to say only six or eight months after I did. Okay. Having a dedicated person getting up, rolling out of bed, thinking 24-7 about downtown development, engaging in kind of creative ways to get folks excited about downtown, that was easily one of the most important things that we could have done. And did you see that sort of model working in other cities and that's what you brought into Huntsville? hundred percent. I mean, I'd love to take credit for that idea. <laughs> they were working on it in advance, but absolutely. I think, you know, in Atlanta in particular, there are a series of what they call CIDs or community improvement districts that advocate for the interests of certain parts of Atlanta, okay. downtown, midtown, Buckhead, perimeter, all have these CIDs that operate kind of as mini cities and advocate for and recruit for their areas. Mm -hmm. And that's a great practice. Adds a little bandwidth to the city. It also provides a little bit more localized expertise in terms of the challenges in particular neighborhoods. Again, my charge is thinking about the entire city. Over 222 square miles at this point, I am never going to know this entire city as well as someone who lives or works or does business in South Huntsville knows South Parkway. I'm never going to know Maston Lake Road, as well as the folks who live and work and do business on Maston Lake Road. So having those kind of business relationships and those community organization relationships helps me do a better job mm-hmm. serving the community. So yeah, DHI was kind of that first stone in the pond. And then you see South Huntsville, Maine, you see North Huntsville Business Association developing, you even see some more nascent organizations like Grow Cove advocating for development out in the Cove area. Those are crucial. And we saw yeah. work. They worked very well in other communities that I managed to do work in. Definitely something we wanted to see duplicated here. Yeah. I mean, because I guess 2016, there was the big, I think it was 2016, 2016 or 2017, there was the big revitalization of the Big Spring Park mm-hmm. where they kind of put in new trees there, made the area a little bit more inviting. Mm-hmm. And I think that at least brought more families to say, hey, I could see going to downtown yeah. with my family walking around the park than it was before. And then from there, you had trickle effects with the square, the entertainment districts and all that is another area that's kind of been, I mean, it's seen a ton of just huge growth is mid-city in that area out Mm -hmm. there. Talk a little bit about what that process looks like, because I mean, I guess that was probably something that has been in the works for, or at least a thought of for a lot longer than what we on the outside see. 
right? That was a very deliberate shift in land use policy and the way we approach things. And frankly, you know, talking a little out of school, it was when I kind of knew that we were really serious about this. You know, I can be crazy visionary, you know, <laughs> city planner who comes in with these wacky ideas. And if the folks who implement it are like, eh, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a little yeah. off the, you're, you're a little off the plane there. But that was when we really realized we were serious about really changing how we grow and being more intentional about how we grow. That was, you know, the, the old Madison Square Mall was in its, it was in its dotage, you know, yeah. it was clearly struggling. It wasn't the activity center that it used to be. Cities really around the country were struggling with that. And, you know, you may be familiar, there's a couple of websites out there dedicated towards dead malls, right? <laughs> and they're, they're all over the place. And it's not necessarily the fault of any given community. A lot of times you see these things overbuilt or buying habits change and the malls are not nimble enough to respond. But the fact is, if you've got a big enough development like that, you can't let it crater. You could let it fall apart, but it ends up having sort of a fratricide effect. It goes under... And it takes all the commercial around it with yeah. it and sometimes takes the neighborhoods with it too. It can have a very poor effect and a blighting effect on the community all around it. And not even touching on the fact that we get a significant amount of tax revenue from that corridor. Yeah. And so seeing that kind of fall off is bad for city services as well. Now you've got less money for schools. You've got less money for police. You've got mm -hmm. less money for all the things that, that and, the and city's like expected that, to do. That area was really an area that wasn't really... As you see the downfall of Madison Square Mall, mm. I mean, that area didn't really have anything else to start bringing it up. But right. then when the, I guess, the end of that fall and the beginning of Mid-City, you saw more and more of the shopping centers along University just beginning to be revitalized themselves. A new facade looking a little bit nicer, looking a little bit better. And now it's hard to drive up and down the street without the traffic just being astronomically insane. It's an interesting dynamic. And I know like we're recording this on the 18th of January. I mean, Mid-City even has more announcements, more developments happening there. Like, how long does that process take from when you say, hey, this is going to be a really great idea to that initial tearing down a, Ma a Madison right. Square Mall and then then the initial buildup of what Mid-City is today? Right. Well, the demo, you know, doesn't take a whole lot of time. We moved very quickly on it, you know, a credit in particular to, and I'm not just saying this because they're my bosses, but, you know, <laughs> if I had them as clients, I would say the same thing. The mayor and director of urban development, Shane Davis, for moving really quickly on this once a decision was made. Don't let it languish. Don't let folks wonder what's going on. Make a decision, take that thing down, and tee it up for redevelopment. So the city became a partner in the redevelopment, promising to install new infrastructure to support this new mm -hmm. activity. But typically, you know, the tearing down is one thing, rebuilding, yeah. especially in a way that doesn't feel too Disney-fied, yeah. right? You know, if it all kind of comes up, boom, you know, overnight, yeah. it feels a little bit sort of Potemkin kind of having Village. The, having the stages of it kind right. of gives it a little right. bit more of an exactly. excitement feel exactly. behind it. Because that's how cities grow. I mean, yeah. being a Huntsville native, you know, if you think about some of the roads that you travel a lot, what they looked like five years ago or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, those change. I mean, cities are almost sort of their own organisms that they grow and they change and they kind of slough off dead skin, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, or get a little bit of a makeover here and there. And they, so they kind of morph over time. Having that happen at kind of a, a reasonable pace makes it feel much more natural. Mm -hmm. And plus, you know, from a practical standpoint, it's just hard to build out six city blocks <laughs> in the span of 18 months. So we're lucky. We've got a really good development partner in RCP. Um, they've got some really smart folks working for them. They're doing a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of work on that. But that was very much the idea of take the lessons of a downtown, right, and start transferring them to other places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know Mid-City is kind of one of the more popular topics, really one of the first examples of that out of the ground and one of the most successful developments in Huntsville is 
just up the street at Villages of Providence. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our first mm-hmm. sort of traditional new urbanist neighborhoods. And you think about that, they're going on two decades of development wow. in terms of how they're growing. So they're these still, things, I mean, they're still doing more and more still stuff. Building. Right. So these things are not quick. And in a way, that's a good thing, right? You're kind of growing incrementally. You're developing these communities intentionally, but they can develop their own kind of mm-hmm. character over time. And I think that's crucial because you want these things to be sustainable. You don't want it to be kind of all feel like flavor of the day. And then 10 years from now, you look at it and you go, well, I can tell you exactly when that was built because it looks exactly like (laughs) everything else that was built during that time. So you want it to have a little bit more of its own character. But the nice thing is you can now take kind of lessons from there and say, all right, how can we do this like at at Hayes Farm on Mm -hmm. South Parkway? How can we do this in developments along the Meridian Corridor? You know, how do you start creating what we call placemaking, right? Celebrate the character of an area let it grow up and create more of a district over time. And those are things that we can do really throughout the city. I mean, is it strategic in placement of when projects are going to be announced? I had to have some overlap so that if as one is getting is in the lull of in between stages, then this one is getting announced and this one's getting built up and they're having this excitement of mid city. And then there's new excitements of Providence and they're kind of back and forth. Is that kind of strategic in, in y'all's game plan or is it just it just happens because of construction yeah i think it just happens i mean it's so much of it is depends on their timeline you know mm-hmm. how they're getting things financed how they're getting things built you know i don't i try not to get overwhelmed by the new <laughs> cycle because around here there is a whole lot happening you know, oh yeah now you even come back downtown and you've got the old coke side and you've got the sites on st Clair, and then we're getting the new city hall and we're currently working with the county to figure out what they can do with their old courthouse so, you know, there's a ton of stuff going on. So, as, you know, there's sometimes I just have to turn off my feed because it's just, it <laughs> seems like it's never stopping. And that that's a good thing. I've worked in a lot of communities when I was in the private sector where they were just struggling to tread water. It yeah. was really, how do you keep us from drowning? Mm-hmm. Growth is a good problem to have, but it is something that you do have to deal with. And you do, you, you know, to use your, your word, you do have to be intentional about it. Yeah. I mean, this has to be thoughtful. You have to be planning for it and you have to be ready for it. So I grew up in South Huntsville and I think South Huntsville from always the outskirts was never a people I always associated with as a, you know, this is where you live. This is not where you are entertained and this is where you do anything like that. And the Hayes development, I mean, my my wife works at that Publix. And so that development, I mean, it's, it's really been the last two and a half, three years. Why does projects like that in an area that I think has the land, the potential, the growth, the demand, the people take longer to be announced and longer to get a footing than areas such as downtown or mid city or Providence. Just because like on on perspective, it's like this area has it, this area is ready for it, but it just didn't get there necessarily when the timing, I think of other things were happening. Right. I think a lot of times it's, you have to hit kind of the right moment. There has to be a confluence of the market Mm -hmm. because fluctuations in the retail or commercial market oftentimes can have a chilling effect on those sorts of developments where Mm -hmm. You know, someone's like, yeah, we're going to get a grocery store here. And then all of a sudden (laughs) that grocery store starts to struggle or there's a national downturn and then that project cools. You also have to have your landowners on the same page. I know for a long time, the old Hazeland Square was encumbered by certain agreements that made it kind of difficult to redevelop. Mm. You also have to have some of the property owners adjacent be willing to say, let's think about a different model for growth. And credit to the Hayes and Infinger families who really, they were actually kind of watching the comp plan and said, you know, you keep talking about these mixed-use centers. You keep talking about live, work, connect, all these mm-hmm. kind of things. Is that something you could see applicable <laughs> here? And they were great. Yeah. I mean, they worked with us. They worked yeah. with the city, said, would the city be willing to participate in this way or that way if we committed to doing this kind of development? 
And that's, it's been a great process. I mean, the, the public's in and of itself, the redevelopment of that shopping center is exciting, but I think the real meat and potatoes when the development is done is when you get a little farther back off of the parkway and they're creating almost another sort of village of yeah. Providence. Cause it'll have all like the apartments can, Exactly. Joined with retail entertainment district, all that, and then yeah. it'll have all the multifamily homes kind of behind it yep. going along the greenway. Yeah, and they'll have a little kind of town square, a new little park there, and then that starts to get connected into the greenway mm-hmm. network. That greenway network eventually will connect all the way down to Ditto Landing. We've only got a few more phases in order to yeah. make that connection. That's a fantastic amenity. I mean, if you think of the fact that you can go there, you know, have a little coffee, get on your bike, ride down to Ditto. And then from Ditto, you can take the other greenway. Yeah, then you can come up Aldrich Creek. And then most folks in South Huntsville know we've improved almost all of the Weatherly Path. There's a little segment just on mm-hmm. the west end connecting across to the Hazelin Extension. So you end up with this fantastic loop where you can go Weatherly to the Grissom area, down that greenway, down to Ditto, then pick up Aldridge Creek and come all the way back up. That's a fantastic amenity. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it around here. It's a great start. It's a great model. And again, that's a that's sort of kind of public and private development package where we're all thinking about how do we make better, more sustainable, more livable communities. Yeah. Is that goal with that Publix and the Hayes development kind of that first initial push into the South Huntsville to then go and say, what could be done from here to Ditto now? A lot of people in Huntsville, I guess, would always say like, you know, I think there's a lot of area in Ditto that's underutilized, oh, underutilized, yeah. underutilized. I mean, you've probably been hearing that since you came here in 2013. Yes. Is <laughs> yes. Even before like, that. It's yeah. like, what are we going to do with Ditto yeah. Landing? What are we going to do with Ditto Landing? Is that, I mean, obviously there's some things you can talk about in the future, some things you can't. Is Ditto Landing a part of y'all's? long-term plan in the next five years to get something more of a infrastructure behind what's like say what they're doing with in Gunnersville with the co-op and that oh, sort that, of development I love that project. doing something yeah. like that or doing something of entertainment at Ditto Landing that has such a huge potential yeah and that's a great question that was actually one of the first kind of small area specific plans that we did was done for Ditto and that was one of those things the reason I go places and I try to listen first rather than assume because my assumption when I first moved here is no one cared about the river, right? You know, it's all yeah. the way down there. There's a couple of folks on boats, <laughs> and occasionally people go down there and hang out at the pavilion, but otherwise no one cares about it. Well, the more we reached out to the community, the more we realized folks were saying, hey, couldn't we get more out of the river? Couldn't we do more down there? How could we support Ditto and sort of becoming yeah. the next version of Ditto? So one of the first things we worked on actually was doing a master plan for Ditto Landing, okay. which is on, it's actually on our comp plan website. It's already out of date because they've done so much. They're currently in an iteration where I think their board is trying to update that master plan and grow it even further. I do have to, I think a lot of folks say, why can't we just do X, Y, and Z down there? (laughs) There's one challenge that does have to be understood. That land was granted as part of an agreement, I want to say with the Federal Fish and Wildlife Agency. Okay. There are certain restrictions on what can and cannot be done there and, and commercial use is heavily restricted on wow. that side. So you could not come in and just overnight do a top of the river kind of yeah, restaurant. development. There. Right. So they're trying to get kind of a master plan that they could then say, all right, here's what we want to do. We're not over-commercializing. We're still holding to the recreation mission. But I think you're right. I think you want to introduce a little bit more activity down there. They have a really good executive director who was hired kind of on the heels of the master plan, the first master okay. plan, Brandy Quick. She's grown a lot of the camping sites there. She's got some new facilities installed. She's already looking at kind of what the next stage is. How might you redo that pavilion? Because that that pavilion is 
it's not the most flexible facility, but yeah. you think about a ton of folks use it anyway. And yeah. it's because it's in such a great spot. Oh, yeah. And then the, the old state docks, that kind of metal mm-hmm. building that's there. I know both Dr. Robinson and Phil Riddick, the city council person and the county commissioner for that district, have been looking at how you could reuse that area. And they've both been working on that. So I think there's a lot coming. I think the ditto five years from now will look very different than, yeah. than what it does today. But it's exactly what you're talking about. It, creating another activity center. It's taking advantage of something we already have, right? You're not trying to invent yeah, something. Yeah, we're not or, building a whole new Riverside thing. I think the legacy of what Ditto Landing is and the, and just the reference. I mean, it's hard for someone, even if they're like, oh, I lived in Huntsville for a few years and then you just meet them out and about. Oh, did you ever go to Ditto Landing? It's going to be like, okay, yeah, 100%. Like, I know Ditto yeah. Landing. And if you mention yeah. the Madison Square Mall, I'd be like, oh, it's not there anymore. Yeah. And so it's just kind of those, like, there's those reference points that kind of starts Huntsville. Like, Ditto Landing is the start of Huntsville from Lacey Springs. Like, yep. this is the start and it goes all the way north all the way west east whatever you want to say so it's just interesting to see what's also interesting and i don't know how you're going to do it and maybe it's just i just don't understand it how is the greenway going to go from grissom to ditto landing because i've ran that greenway and it stops right there at the gate for the arsenal it does we've got some i think there's some easements a little bit farther south that we can work through so we won't be on the arsenal at all we're going to kind of skirt the edge of it then there's some undeveloped land that we've already started working back from ditto so if you go down to ditto go across that old iron bridge and go along the river. We've got a greenway kind of packed in there now that starts wow. to work its way north. So we're really working our way towards the middle from the north okay. to the south. So yeah, we've got the route laid out. One of the things that we did do also coming out of the comp plan was we heard over and over and over again, people love the greenways, love the greenways, love the greenways. Why aren't you building more of them? Build more, build them yeah. faster. So one of the things we did was we engaged with the Land Trust of North Alabama, who has a lot of experience in building out recreational paths like mm-hmm. this. And we have a partnership agreement where they kind of help with the design and they help with the acquisition so we can get more greenways on the ground. So they've helped us really kind of map out what that looks like working over there. And they're helping us work through the rest of the city as well. They've been a great partner. And I think that's going to be when we finally have that whole loop completed, that's going to be a fantastic oh, piece. Yeah. And then you know, it also plugs into that broader thing. If, I don't know if you've had Dr. Kvach with the Singing River Trail mm-hmm. come in and talk about that project. That's sort of a North Alabama regional okay. recreational trail that really stretches across most of North Alabama. If you think of like the Silver Comet in Georgia or the Chief Ladiga or the Natchez Trace, those sort of, uh, you know, multi-county greenways. That's a very realistic project for North Alabama, and it would come right through Huntsville. And, it, you know, wow. one of the main intersection points would be a Ditto Landing. Wow. I think I also heard at one point, I don't know if this is still the case, but you were going to put a greenway kind of going off like where Burn is over on Pratt. There was at one point I saw, it was, it was a house that was actually listed that this is going to be a new greenway kind of connecting to where the dog park is and over in that area. I don't know if that was a thought or if that wasn't or if it's just fallacy. I don't know. Well, we are doing some improvements up Meridian okay. um, and long-term along Dallas where you see a lot of that retention. Mm-hmm. We're looking at how we can improve that retention area because a lot of that floods. Yeah. And this is a great example of greenways kind of taking opportunities to kind of get inserted in places that might not be used for other things. Well, floodways, obviously, you can't build a whole lot. Um, as we improve that area and increase our flood mitigation, what's left over, we can run a greenway up there. So you can end up connecting that kind of area yeah. of Pratt all the way up to Oakwood. You know, one of the next phases we're working on is connecting from downtown to A&M University as well. And we've got several wow. segments in a, in a variety of phases of development. So long term, you know, we would love folks to be able to really navigate almost across the entire city 
buy a Greenway if they so choose. Wow. It sounds like Greenways and inter- entertainment districts are eventually going to be all over Huntsville. And there's going to be no, <laughs> there's going to be no shortage of the two. Right, purple um, cups everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, one thing that I think it's hard that everyone's going to be listening, that's going to be thinking about as we had this conversation, we had a little bit of this conversation off air. One thing that's also hard to not it's hard to miss when driving around Huntsville is just multi-use buildings, apartment mm-hmm. buildings, right. supply versus demand. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think you had a good perspective off, off air, off air before we got started about just kind of what that demand actually yeah. was and what it, where it is now and why it is so important that we are doing this. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is everybody knows we're growing, mm-hmm. right? We're adding hundreds of people a month. The growth rates anywhere between 1.8 and 2% annually, which for a city our size is, oh, we're adding a lot of people. You just need places for those folks to live. Apartments are a great way to accommodate that. Apartments are not having a whole lot of trouble getting financed, so that helps them get out of the ground. We have a lot of land that can readily accommodate apartments. And I would also say, you know, similar to what we talked about earlier, I think the demand was undermet over the intervening decades. We were yeah. not building enough really to satisfy what we needed. And you're starting to see us play a little bit of catch up. I think you're probably going to see it soften in the coming years, but you're still going to see apartment develop happening. There's still demand out there for it. Generally, if the banks are still giving money to it, you know they're doing their <laughs> homework. They know there's still yeah. a market there for it. We have been focusing a lot on the idea of mixed-use buildings, mm-hmm. depending on where they are and what their context is. The idea of having shops or offices below helps kind of activate that building. It can kind of create a better pedestrian environment. It can start creating more of a more of a district, more of a neighborhood mm-hmm. feel, especially in major corridors. So that, you know, some of them you see are just, their apartments, 100%. Some of them are coming up as mixed-use buildings. I think those are all great. Those are types that we need. I think they've been underbuilt here in the past, and we're still playing mm-hmm. a little bit of catch-up. But you go places like, yeah, in Village of Providence, Mid-City, Downtown, even the new development on Pratt in between yeah. Andrew Jackson and Meridian, another great example. And that's going to be great because, hey, you're sort of adding more kind of restaurant and commercial space, which a lot of folks wanted to see filling in on Pratt. But with those apartments, you're also adding customers for those businesses. And that's the, the key yeah. thing is, is those folks are going to shop at the shops and they're going to eat at the restaurants and they're helping pump money into the economy, kind of keep the economy going. So I think our development review will probably come out later this month. And that's the, my department publishes that annually that okay. kind of looks back over the previous year, how many homes were built and permitted, mm-hmm. how many apartments were built and permitted, you know, what our growth looked like. And this is actually, in, in talking with a gentleman in my office who does it, we think that this past year will have been the peak. Yeah. Right? That'll be sort of a max development that we saw. And you'll see um, that over the, probably the next two, two and a half, three years that all of those will be finished. Yeah. And then you'll start seeing. And I know like, I mean, we've, I mean, looking at the apartments, there's a lot of apartments that are, I mean, the Eclipse is finished. Mm-hmm. The Constellation, I guess, finished. When do you think you'll see those apartments kind of being full? or getting to higher capacity. Cause it feels like for on the outskirts, it's like these are finished. These are operating. These are ready to go, but they're not really full. But then we're building Lincoln mill. We're beating yeah. Pratt. We're building. I mean, you just, you can't, like I said, you can't drive around Huntsville and not see it. You see, this is the peak of development. And then we're going to see just an influx of still people coming in. Yeah. It's going to help support that. I mean, I don't see our population growth slowing down. in sure. We still have a lot of FBI development mm-hmm. coming, still a lot of industry coming around, especially out West and North. North Huntsville Business Industrial Park is growing. Most of the limestone development is growing. CRP is growing and redeveloping. There's so much influx of employment that people are following. So I don't see the need for residents slowing down anytime soon. I think we had a real kind of peak in construction here. I think it may slow down a bit, but 
slow for us is <laughs> fast for any place yeah. else. I mean, and you mentioned a little bit earlier just your time in Atlanta and just mm-hmm. the traffic and just what that looked like. Oh, yeah. I mean, people listening to this too are going to say, hey, with this influx of people, influx of things, entertainment, whatever that might look like, traffic's just going to continue to get worse. Right. I mean, over the last two years, you I mean, it's gotten harder and harder to drive. Luckily, I don't live far from my offices. My clients aren't far, so I don't really drive very much. Right. What is your response on how traffic and how these roads will continue to be developed and sustain this growth that Huntsville is seeing? That is absolutely one of my favorite questions to answer. I love (laughs) that. Now, I will oftentimes offer a little bit of a caveat. Having come from Atlanta and having worked in other cities, when I hear folks complain about Mm -hmm. traffic, sometimes I have to say, all right, here we're coming from. However, (laughs) yes. Um, But, you know, I also understand folks don't care. They're like, I don't live in Chattanooga. I don't live in Atlanta. I live here. What are you doing about traffic This is why I love Huntsville. And I'm same way as I left that on purpose. I don't want to bring that with me. Mm -hmm. So there are really kind of three things that you have to do kind of all in concert to ensure that your traffic stays sustainable, right? That you don't completely get kind of choked Mm -hmm. by your own growth. And those three things are varying your uses, varying your routes, and varying your modes. And you have to do all three of them. But when you do that, you can create a sustainable transportation network. And varying the uses, it goes a little bit to what we already talked about. Places like Village of Providence, places like Mid-City, places like downtown become more walkable, Mm -hmm. right? So you're already reducing traffic simply by not forcing folks to drive everywhere. It doesn't mean you're going to have a lot of folks who suddenly don't own a car (laughs) and walk or bike everywhere, but you're providing folks more options and more transportation choice so that the trips they can choose to take by bike or by walking, they can do so. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. But if you create more of those kinds of developments, now all of a sudden you have more of those activity centers that aren't reliant on driving. The second piece was varying routes. And another important part of creating a, a network that works is how resilient it is. And you want multiple ways to get from point A to point B. I will say Huntsville as a metro, has some really particular challenges that a lot of other communities don't face. You know, one, we've got the river that forms a kind of hard southern border that's difficult to cross. We've got the mountains in the east, which there's really only so many ways you can get back and forth <laughs> across those. And before anyone says, hey, Elon Musk has a thing that'll dig a tunnel, no. <laughs> um, and I've talked with a couple of folks in sort of on the geology side of this, and they said, that based on the sort of way our our geology Tunnels are not particularly easy or cheap. <laughs> so we've got those mountains and then you've got the arsenal, which is a huge employment center, but it's also restricted access. So you don't have a lot of free flow back and forth yeah. through the arsenal. So we've got these kind of constraints that can make moving people around our region a little bit difficult. Despite that, our traffic still moves pretty well. Mm-hmm. Part of that represents a really sustained investment in our roads over the last nearly two decades. I mean, we've put a lot of money in our roads and highways over the last few years, just on the state and federal level. Right now we have over 340 million in in active and planned projects just in the Huntsville area. That's a lot of investment in roads, but one of the ways you make that work even better is you say, all right, let's start adding different ways to get places. So while we are doing things like adding an overpass at Maston Lake or widening Cecil Ashburn, we're also doing the Northern Bypass We're doing Resolute Way, which is a new interchange. We're adding Greenbrier Parkway. We're adding the Arsenal East Connector, which is kind of a parallel route to the parkway. Those are things that give folks alternative routes Mm -hmm. to get from point A to point B. That helps accommodate more traffic. It gives you more options. If there's 
an accident on one road, now all of a sudden you've got other routes. And that's a huge key to resiliency. And then the third thing you have to do is vary your modes. Now, you know, anytime I go out and talk about this, I, <laughs> I ask folks, all right, how many folks rode the bus here, right? Yeah. Weirdly, I never get any hands yeah. raised. However, that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of bus ridership. Every time we do an update on our transit study, our ridership increases. Wow. We have unmet demand out there. So one of the things we want to do is also focus on developing and enhancing our transit network. The key is, and I cannot say this, I cannot emphasize it enough. If you wait until you need transit to implement transit, <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, I mean, It's going to be cost prohibitive. It's going to be impractical. So we're looking at how we can really ramp up our transit. A lot of folks are fascinated with the idea of light rail. That's probably a much longer term play mm -hmm. because it's very expensive, not only to build, but also maintain. But there are a lot of ways that we can do kind of trolley type service that move folks faster that provide folks, again, more options in terms of how they navigate their community mm -hmm. so that folks who maybe don't want to drive or some folks age into not feeling as comfortable driving, they can move into areas that are more walkable. Yeah. And then they can also navigate more comfortable transit that gets them where they want to go. So I mean, and doing better bike infrastructure and better walking infrastructure feeds into that as well so that you're offering a whole lot more transportation mm -hmm. choice for folks to navigate their community. Yeah, and I think that's like, that's one of the, like, I think the positives of growing up here and living here, it's if I need to get someplace, I kind of know the back way to get right. in most places. So like, even if this road is, and like most of the time I never get on 565 at rush hours, I never really yeah. deal with traffic out there. Typically I'm out there at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, like yeah. before the traffic gets there. But it's, it is interesting to see, because I mean, that's a huge, I mean, you can't go around talking with people without talking about traffic in Huntsville. On this, when I lived in Atlanta, everybody hated Waze because they're like, look, I had my own <laughs> little secret route that nobody knew now about. Waze now Waze tells everybody everything. <laughs> and yeah, that was, the joke was always when you're in Atlanta, one of your favorite topics of conversation at any party was, so what's your commute? If you're going from here to there, what's your favorite? You do yeah. Krog Tunnel or do you do DeKalb Avenue? Exactly which way do you go? And and now, you know, Waze has completely ruined that. Yeah, I mean, and like moving forward too, and then just the development of what Huntsville is going to be and what Huntsville is like, has been over the years is just the skyline of Huntsville is going to continue to change. Yep. I mean, coming into 565, you have the Constellation, which will be continuing to be developed. in mean, yep. addition to the apartments, but eventually that's going to be like a Bridge Street-esque, Providence-esque sort of place, mm -hmm. I, I assume. And another big one they just announced that I would love to get your perspective on and just talk a little bit about is the Sky Bridge. Because, I mean, it's going to go from 9th Avenue, I believe, to Holmes. Uh, it'll land roughly on Clinton. Okay. And it'll kind of take off in the Constellation area and go over the Parkway and Governor's Drive. It'll have one part that'll land kind of on the north of Governor's okay. and another part that'll land south of Governor's in the Low Mill area. And the idea is that's a purely a bike and pedestrian bridge. and. It was going to be costly enough that we weren't going to be able to do it locally. So we waited until we got a federal grant. So mm -hmm. that is helping out with a good chunk of it. But it's also really two projects. There's okay. the bridge piece is one, which connects walkers and cyclists across the Parkway and Governors, which are, is a huge barrier huge. if you're walking or biking. But it is also improving the creeks that run behind the BBC and the Coke site and creating more of a almost kind of a San Antonio river walk hmm. vibe yeah. behind there. So it's really two projects are all part of that. And the idea is creating not only better bike ped connectivity, but just kind of better places. Like right now, I don't think a whole lot of folks go downtown to hang out next to that concrete culvert, right? Not, behind the not BBC. really. <laughs> doesn't really sing to you. But we know it can continue to do its important work, which is moving water through downtown. But if you redesign it, you can also 
create a place. You can create mm-hmm. a place where people And then greenways can be built from that. Exactly. You kind exactly. of have that whole infrastructure connected. Exactly. You can become part of that mm-hmm. broader network. And then I want to say in that proposal or the stuff I've seen with the Skybridge is also the tallest building for Huntsville. Is it oh, proposed? Yeah. Is, is, like, what does that look like? That one, I don't know what kind of legs it has. That was the only article I saw on it. I know there's nothing <laughs> in the city on it. Someone may have just been dreaming big and, and threw yeah. that out there to generate some excitement. The site he's talking about has some, definitely has some Where's the site? I want to say it's south of Governors, not far from the parkway. And I think it's at the confluence of two of the bridges, drainage, well, no, two of the culverts are coming together. So it was a little bit of a, a, kind of like across from Low Mill, there's that one and then it's kind of sits right there. Okay. Well, and I think, you know, most folks know it's easier to do a rendering than it is to do a building. (laughs) So in most cases, you know, if if you really want to know something serious, wait until they start moving dirt. And I feel like that's probably a huge process too, is yeah. that strategy of announcing it before actually breaking yeah. ground. Because you you hate, I mean, I, I know for, with Constellation, the sign went up probably four or five years ago yeah. and they just opened a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so I, like, is that a lot of the planning and the long-term planning behind projects too, is to say, when do you announce this versus when do you break ground versus when is it? Because like you'd hate to present something to the public and then it not happen in the time that they think it should. Well, it's easy on our side because we just sort of lay the groundwork. Here's what it's owned. <laughs> here's the city participation. And that's when you start getting on the private sector side. And those are the folks who have to navigate it. You know, folks like Scott McLean, mm-hmm. um, folks like RCP, folks like uh, Enfinger doing their developments. These are long plays, right? You know, the Slimans, again, have been in Providence for 20 years now. And over a course of two decades, the economy is going to cycle up and down. Yeah. You're going to hit dips where it's a little harder to get money. So that project that we just announced, all of a sudden things cooled. We're going to have to sit on that for another 12 wow. months. Yeah. And that just happens. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that I think is compelling about MidCity and one of the things that they did really well strategically was they did the camp on site mm-hmm. right from the get-go, Right. So they actually have something to announce that they then built that was drawing people there even before there was anything else on that site. So it was a nice way to kind of announce and commit without people going, well, where is everything? It was that little first step. It was that little stone in the water that started the ripples that then gave them time to then, all right, here's our next piece. Mm -hmm. And then it it gets people used to coming to that area because I think that's the big thing that I always wonder about is, these new developments are fantastic. They're great. They're in areas that really need it. They're in areas that are underutilized, underdeveloped, but maybe in areas that could really gain from this. I mean, yep. the Hayes development, all that sort of stuff. But when you have that first sort of, hey, here's our centerpiece. It's Publix for Hayes. Yep. Well, people like Publix. People know of Publix. Let's get people there. Yep. And then kind of building off from there. Well, it's the to- Publix and then you've got the greenways that yeah. start getting folks using there. So now as that development comes out of the ground, they have already... People are already familiar there. You're absolutely right. That is a great way to stage development, to get folks into it early on, to really sort of kind of sink the hook, get them comfortable with Mm -hmm. it, instead of having to feel like you have to grow the whole thing. Because I feel like almost like having the apartment, like having sort of like a apartment living, though, is a little bit tougher to get people in because it's not like entertainment. I feel like the entertainment aspect that Mid-City was able to do with theirs, and then now they're adding on these apartments and stuff like that. Get people like, I really love the camp. I really love Top Golf. I really love High Point. I really love X, Y, and Z. I mean, you can't name them all in one hand. Then they're like, I could live here. I could right. imagine. And then I think Bridge Street did the same thing. I mean, yep. now they're adding all those things, all the apartments behind them as well. Yes. And yep. the RCP, I think the Collins apartments right there off of off a of university is mm-hmm. building and they're developing all of that land and then connecting them to the amphitheater, connecting them to Mid City. And I feel like that area has really done it well. Yeah. Like you said, like they've really seen this model of 
getting the entertainment, getting these people in and then hooking them with, you can do everything here. You don't yeah. even have to go anywhere. You have Trader Joe's, you can get your groceries here too. Yep. And is that kind of the whole, like, is that model now, was that first really announced with, used with Providence, you think? Or do you think it was really mid-city kind of did what Providence did on a grander scale? I think it's, I mean, it's been a downtown model. And quite frankly, you know, we, they call it, they'll often call it new urbanism. It's really old urbanism, okay. right? I mean, this is the way cities have been developing mm-hmm. for thousands of years, right? You know, always at the human scale, always organically, always with the community coming together to create infrastructure and sort of a framework and then the business interest creating development within that framework. We're just sort of rediscovering it. There had been that weird period in the U.S. that was really kind of an anomaly, which was where we decided, all right, everything has to be driving, you know, has to be car oriented and we sort of spread everything out and now everything's kind of having that come back together. But it's been done well by by a number of folks in town, and we love to see that. I mean, again, mm-hmm. that goes to that those sort of live, work, play or live, work, connect communities that are so important that not only can reduce pressure on, mm-hmm. on driving, but also provide folks with more variety in terms of where they live. It's great. You're right. I mean, getting in those apartments and then having all of those amenities around yeah. you is a huge draw. We love to see more of that. Mm-hmm. So kind of the last question that I'll end with, because it'd be interesting to see your perspective and what you're the most excited for. Mm-hmm. But out of all these projects, these things we've talked about, these things that maybe we haven't yet to talk about or we didn't get to, what are three things that you're most excited to see here in 2023 finish up or in the next year and a half, two years to finish up? Wow, that's hard to narrow it down. I can pick something almost in every corner of the city. Um <laughs> We're currently waiting on a kind of an economic development report for the Meridian Corridor in North Huntsville running mm-hmm. from downtown to AM. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for some redevelopment along that corridor that supports the Huntsville City School sites and the AM and Drake along that corridor and really starts to develop that corridor as a kind of a college town mm-hmm. to it. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm excited to see the Greenway Loop in South Huntsville get completed. Mm-hmm. I think that will be, you know, once that's fully completed, being able to do that loop is going to be an incredible amenity. I think the work that we're doing around transit on 72, running basically from downtown out 72, we're looking at probably on our next council meeting, adopting the first phase of what we call a BRT line for 72, which is a higher capacity transit route that can kind of support Hmm. some of that development at university in 72. I think that's going to be an absolutely great project. It can be the first of a new type of higher capacity, more attractive, more comfortable, more efficient transit for the city. And then the last one, which I think is interesting, is out in the Cove area. I think a lot of folks out there are like, you know, why do we keep getting this kind of strip development? Why do we Mm -hmm. keep getting that? There's at least one project in the works out there where I think you are going to start seeing the kind of town center sort of community-oriented development that they've been really thirsting for. Something like that, I think, in the next couple of years is going to start to take shape out there, and I think it's going to help transform that part of the community. And again, that all goes back to the idea of we have to think about Huntsville holistically. Every part of the community has its own particular character, has its Mm -hmm. own particular needs. So there's not any one thing that we're doing that we can do throughout the city but they all need our attention and they all need to constantly be in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. You're constantly pruning and you're fertilizing and you're growing and you want the entire garden to be healthy and you want it all to be growing. And I think the direction we're going, we're going to see that in every cardinal direction, a really healthy, thriving Huntsville. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me today. We talked for almost an hour. 
It's been great learning more about Huntsville, some of these stories, some of just the developments. I think being on the outskirts, you see one perspective, but having you and your perspective in, in, inside it and seeing this grow is huge. I continue to look forward to the growth that Huntsville is going to have over the next few years and, and the part that you're going to play for it. And I'm excited. I, th- I think this is going to be something that I'll have you back on in a year talking about everything that's changed because it's going to look so much different in a year to two years to <laughs> yeah. even three years. Yeah, I, I would be happy to. It's, it's going to be hard to even imagine this. Yeah. But thank you again so much for joining me today. Happy to do it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond Rockets. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and on YouTube at Beyond Rockets. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed.